Welcome to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today I'm here with Stephen Stanley. So, Steve, as always, it's great to have you here. Hey, Scott, it's awesome to be here. So, we are continuing on. This is part 10 of our study on the worldview driven church. We've been doing this in honor of David Noggle, who was one of my first philosophy professors and uh, who's also been the professor of several other folks who are regular uh, contributors on the podcast. And in his series on the Worldview Driven Church, he talked a lot about just different ways of recovering the church's mission, the church's vision, the church's calling uh, to be a, a church that is uh, Christocentric, but also uh, that is uh, embracing the full picture of Scripture. And that involves not ignoring or diminishing certain aspects of Scripture. And today we come to the idea of recovering uh, our vocational calling uh, as a church and for those in the church. Uh, so one of the things that David Noggle says in his essays is that sometimes uh, pastors and church workers and evangelists and missionaries uh, present or give people who are not those things the idea that if they're not doing full-time Christian work, that perhaps they're not really doing kingdom work. And um, one of the questions that David Noggle asks is, do you feel guilty or like a second-class saint? Do you feel disenfranchised from the church or overlooked if you're not in full-time ministry? And so I wanted to begin today, Stephen, by just asking you, um, you know, how have you seen in your ministry or in the ministries you've been a part of um, people sort of approach this idea, well, I'm not a full-time minister, so I can't do da-da-da-da-da, or God won't use me, or, you know, other things of that nature. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we consistently see is this uh, dualistic view of the world where you have the um, sacred and, and secular. So we, many people in the West kind of bring that platonic view into the world within that kind of Gnostic view. And I, I've seen that still prevalent today in the modern church, both from uh, uh, youth, you know, uh, students and from, you know, uh, elders in the church. Um, it, and, and essentially the way it works out is, well, if I'm a you know, if, if I'm not in ministry with an official title, then I'm not really doing God's work. I can't do God's work. I don't have like a real calling beyond just showing up to church on Sunday. Um, and so it, that, that does two things from what I've noticed, or it probably does a lot, but two main things that I, I recognize it does. First off, it sort of idolizes those who have some sort of ministerial position, kind of makes them as um, you know, better than everybody else. They're the ones closer to God. They're, they're the Moses and everybody else is just the Hebrew people who have to go to Moses to hear from God. Um, and then the other thing is it, it creates within them like a sense of, uh, subhuman, right? Like they're not good enough to go to God. They can't hear from God. They can't have that direct relationship with God. And so I see that living out in the day-to-day -day life, which, if you're a believer, um, yet you believe that you can't really hear from God or you can't really do, you know, quote unquote, God's work because you're not in an official ministry position, um, that can really harm uh, uh, your self-esteem, right? Like, what, what good am I? Um, but it can also 
uh, dilute whatever actual ministry God has for you. Um, and and one of the, the quickest thing that I usually do is I'll, I'll remind them that, uh, you know, Paul says that we are ambassadors of Christ, that, that we are co-workers uh, in this ministry, regardless of, of whether you hold an official title within a church. Um, you know, we're reminded God has a plan for us. He knows what that plan is, um, that he wants to utilize us um, and with, that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Right. So God is sending us out into this world to, to do something. Um, and oftentimes you can get more heart work done, I believe anyways, uh, if you don't hold an official position in the church, because you can, uh, people will put their guard up around, uh, you know, people who have ministerial backgrounds. So if anytime, you know, so I'm in a band, right. And anytime I come around other bands, uh, and they find out that I'm in ministry immediately, something switches, right. they, they start to become somebody else. They put on this mask and they start to talk to me about all their, you know, experience. You know, I went to church uh, a month ago and this guy said that, and it's like, and that's great. I love those conversations, but you can tell they're trying to change who they are because I'm in ministry. What I notice is believers who don't hold official titles in churches, they can actually have more kind of heart to heart conversations whereas people aren't putting up a mask and they can share Christ in a way that is uh, uh, more difficult for someone who's in ministry. Um, and so I think God is using and, and plans to use people who don't hold official positions. Um, but I think oftentimes, whether it's our culture, um, uh, whether it's uh, a probably bad teaching within the church, uh, or whether we just haven't fully realized the calling God has on us uh, as believers, I think we uh, do ourselves a disservice to the ministries that God has called us to. But I see that as a prevalent issue um, within all generations in the church these days. Yeah, uh, I was reading something the other day that uh, talked about the status that comes with being a full-time minister. And the, the article was talking about how that status has actually dropped in recent years because of all the scandals and stuff that yeah. come out, you know, and now there's a bit more mistrust of ministers, uh, which, but, but the mistrust is uh, seeing them less like experts. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't bleed into, oh, I got to change my behavior around this person, you know, and <laughs> right. uh, even with family, you know, I've been in places where, you know, my family, you know, I all know I'm in ministry. And so I'll get there and, oh, well, we can't talk about this now. Scott's here. We can yeah. talk about this. I don't care. You know, right. Um, uh, I was somewhere the other day and somebody knew that I was a minister and they were being very reserved in some of the stuff they were saying to me. And then I uh, casually mentioned that I was listening to a Slipknot song, and uh, <laughs> which I was. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not really a big fan of Slipknot, but they've got, uh, I mean, they're, they're talented guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but they were, I was listening to this song and I thought, well, I'm, I'm really interested in this. And I, I kind of, I want to look up the lyrics and, you know, yep. so I was looking up some stuff about the song and I started seeing several people online saying, you know, this song really helped get me out of depression. And this song really helped me, uh, make some sense when I was going through a really hard time. And so, uh, it, it was a positive thing. And, um, anyway, uh, but, but all that being said, uh, I think when the person heard me say, oh, I was doing this, that sort of let them help them let their guard down. Cause all of a sudden it was like, oh, this guy doesn't think he's better than everyone else and not right. 
you know, participate in, uh, you know, certain aspects of culture that we would maybe not always think that a minister would be a part of. And that's yeah. not to say ministers should participate in every aspect of culture, sure. right? Uh, Christians in general shouldn't participate in every aspect of culture. But, um, but I think that there's certainly this, this wall that gets built up. And um, uh, another thing that is, uh, you know, interesting to me is that most of the leaders of the first century church were bivocational ministers. Yeah. You know, Paul was a tent maker. Yeah. And Paul was, and, and by the way, the word tent maker in Greek uh, really means leather worker, right? Mm-hmm. And so he was probably, you know, fixing shoes and fixing bags and right. doing other things besides just working on tents. Yeah. But uh, everywhere he went, he took his tools with him and he supported himself while he was there in those places. And, um, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. There's nothing to indicate that he stopped collecting taxes after he became a disciple. Peter was a fisherman, and there's nothing to indicate that he stopped fishing. Um, There is a a point in the Gospels after Jesus dies, and he's, uh, you know, this is before his resurrection, and it talks about the disciples sort of going back to their daily lives. And I've heard pastors say they just didn't have faith, and da 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 da. And I think, no, they they did have faith. They were just waiting, and while they were waiting, they went back to do what they are normally called to do. Um, and so I think when pastors say that it's wrong, but I also think it tends to sort of even feed into that whole idea of, well, if I'm not in full-time ministry, totally doing just ministry, right. Right. then I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And um, the, uh, the last thing I want to mention here is a number of years ago, uh, our church was going through a study on the purpose-driven church, or the purpose-driven, purpose-driven life by Rick Warren. And uh, in this study, uh, he makes a, a big deal out of evangelism. And so sometimes people think when they're not in ministry, not because of this book alone, I mean, I think churches have been teaching this traditionally, uh, but they think, well, if I'm not in ministry, the only thing I can do for ministry at my actual job is share my faith with other people. And, and you know, that's, that's really all I can do. And I think that's a very limiting perspective. But uh, this one girl came into class this particular Sunday and she said, oh, I'm so relieved after reading this week's uh, readings because I realized that God doesn't care about my job. And I thought, <laughs> oh, honey, no, that's not right at all. And, uh, you know, it was like, no, God cares about every aspect of human life. I mean, he yeah. created us to have abundant life. Yeah. And he, he's very concerned about your job. And so, uh, but, but these sort of tr- traditional teachings uh, I think have really done a lot of damage to people who are not in ministry thinking, well, that's, you know, all that over there is the minister's job, not my job. Uh, but they yeah. also think, you know, sometimes, well, I, I'm not doing that because I can't do that. God wouldn't use me to do this or that. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, you know, any Christian can do anything in ministry because spiritual mm-hmm. gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to all believers, not right. just those in full-time ministry. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just so good. I'm reminded Paul had, you know, had a pretty consistent message about this. He said in Corinthians 10 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, he said in Colossians 3 23, whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know, Paul was, was very, you know, adamant that every aspect of our life should be some sort of worshipful 
activity. Um, it needed to be reconciled to God. Um, that doesn't mean that we have to put a cross or a fish on it. Um, you know, I, 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 I have this, I don't want to say love, hate, but maybe like dislike relationship with the, the Christian fish, especially on like cars and, and shirts, <laughs> because there, there's not a Christian car. You know what I mean? That there right. is a, there's a vehicle that can be uh, utilized for purposes of God. Now, whether that's you're driving to church or whatever, or if you're, you know, while you're driving, you're worshiping the Lord, you're blessing those around you, uh, providing for your family. You know, these are, these are godly things to do. Um, but putting a fish on your car is not, you know, does not make you like a better Christian. And I remember back in the day being in high school and I, my youth pastor at the time, which or I think it was junior high, was trying to challenge us to start wearing Christian shirts at, at school so that our friends knew that we are Christian. And I just remember, and, and, you know, at being kind of skeptical by nature, my first thought was, but shouldn't my actions show that I'm a Christian? <laughs> like, why does my shirt have to show that I'm a Christian? You know, like, uh, you know, and, and maybe I was a bit too you know, skeptical of that, but th that's always bugged me because um, it, re you know, I don't think that we can just baptize whatever we have with the word Christian. And now it's Christian. Like my band I constantly get asked, well, are y'all a Christian band? I'm like, no, man, I'm a punk rock band. And I write my <laughs> lyrics from a Christian worldview from my worldview. So yeah, it's, you know, gonna, I'm going to have biblical themes in those lyrics, but it's not a worship band, right? Like what is a Christian band? You know what I mean? What is yeah. that? And, but it, it, once again, it goes back to that sacred and secular division, right? If we have a dividing line in our life, these things are sacred. These things are secular uh, and neither shall ever meet. Right. We're going to completely separate and uh, break our our lives out into these two different sections. Then um, you're obviously going to think anything secular can't be or should not be uh, uh, used for God. Right. And so, you know, what is a, a guy in ministry doing listening to Slipknot? You shouldn't be doing that, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you know the rules, right? Don't you? Right, right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you know, so so this stuff kind of bugs me, especially whenever just the very foundational texts that we have uh from Paul tell us that hey, there is no dividing line, everything needs to be used for God. Um, which actually, yeah. like as a creative person, excites me because now I get to go look for opportunities to, to reconcile the world around me to God. Right. Yes, exactly. Whether that's uh, who is, I think I was talking to Christine uh, uh, Jones maybe a year ago or something. And we, one of the things that we were talking about was writing songs, right? She's a songwriter. I'm a songwriter. And she was talking about the importance of coming up with new uh new symbolism, new metaphors, right? Because a lot of our Christian metaphors are, uh, you know, 2000 years old and, and, sh yeah. and shouldn't we have new, and that doesn't mean we forsake those, but we should be able to come up with new metaphors that make sense. Yeah. And that's something that encourages me whenever I read, 
uh, somebody or hear a, a musician, like there's this band called Thrice and, and they consistently will come up with new metaphors that are biblically based, but kind of rooted in modern life. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love that because I think it's showing that, Hey, everything is God's and everything should be reconciled to him. Um, so I, I don't know, Th- this is something that I'm kind of passionate about, you know, and I don't think we think about it enough. The shelf life of a lot of modern worship songs is less than two years now. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder how much of that is sort of this, like, uh, to use an old metaphor, beating a dead horse, you know, like, like, yeah, it's a new song, but it's saying the same thing every other song has said for the last 400 years. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I think there is definitely something to creativity and, uh, yeah, it, ex- it excites me to think about, you know, uh, passages in scripture that say things like, you know, deacons should have a good reputation in the community. Yeah. How can you have a good reputation outside of the church and the community unless you're involved in the community, right? Yeah, if you're, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, if you own a restaurant, great. As a Christian, treat your employees fairly. Do, um, you know, uh, do right by your patrons in the way you prepare their food. Yeah. Don't serve things that you shouldn't be serving to people, you know, um, you know, do, do things to God's glory and to treat people well and to uh, not take advantage of your employees or make them work too many hours for too few benefits or, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, in the same way, you know, if you are a trash collector, uh, believe it or not, like we need trash collectors, you know, like yeah. we've got to have them in our, in our, in our culture for society to function well. And if we have Christians who are working in trash collecting, uh, you know, part of being a steward of God's earth is cleaning up after ourselves. Yeah. And you're doing the Lord's work by taking people's trash away. Right. Uh, so I, I think that we sometimes just, we really limit ourselves. And, and then, the, you know, again, the creativity, um, you know, we should have Christians who are uh, good critical thinkers who are out there trying to invent things to make efficient, you know, more efficient energy. We yeah. should have Christians out there trying to make better medicines with fewer side effects. You know, we should have Christians out there uh, thinking about, you know, every single time that it rains, there's a car wreck in this intersection. What can we do yeah. to make this street so that it's not so slick when it gets wet? You know, I mean, all kinds of, you know, the, the I mean, the possibilities are endless, right? Um one of the things that David Noggle says in his work is, I wonder how many struggle and even get depressed over their daily doings because the churches they attended have failed to teach that all believers are gifted and called by God to multiple roles and realms of service, and that what they are doing in the marketplace is just as important as the labor performed in Christian service careers. And so uh, my whole thing today is, uh, you know, in recovering this the uh, the purpose of the church in calling is that you know we recognize that we're all unified in Christ, but God gifts all of us differently yeah. and calls us to different vocations that we can, in those vocations, uh, work for God's kingdom and for God's glory and to uh, work for justice and to work for righteousness and to and to promote things that promote what it means to be under the authority and reign and rule of God. Um, the the other thing that, uh, well, one of the other things that David Noggle mentions is that um, he talks about the Bible talking of general callings like to salvation and sanctification. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you're, you know, as Christians, we always want to know well, what's God's will for my life. 
And, um, you know, his will is always, of course, to have a relationship with him. Scripture is very clear that God desires for all people to come to faith in Christ. Um, And the second thing is that he wants us all to become more like Christ. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we can always know God's moral will, you know, don't do things that are not of God such as, you know, lying to take advantage of people or stealing from others or, uh, you know, uh, carrying anger against someone unjustly in your heart and, you know, all these other kinds of things, right? But, um, but a lot of times when people ask the question, what's God's will for my life? Uh, they're not thinking necessarily of God's moral will or God's right. call to salvation. They're thinking, what does God want me to do with my life? And I think sometimes people think, well, if God doesn't call me into full-time ministry, he doesn't really care as much about me. And on the flip side, sometimes ministers think, well, I got called into full-time ministry, Mm -hmm. so I'm better than everybody else, Right. Uh, which is absolutely not true. Uh, And so I think that it's important for people to recognize that not only does God, um, and we can always know God's general calling, you know, towards, you know, moral purity and whatnot, but um, for God's... um, God's calling on us with our vocations, I think there's, in some cases, more freedom, you know. Uh, Someone may have three or four job opportunities that are all good, and they could choose to do any of those things, and God would bless them in any of those things. Um, But sometimes God presses upon someone's heart so much that this is what I want you to do. And I think anytime God presses on your heart that much, you can't help but do that thing. There's no way for you to get away from it, you know. The, the, The pulling on your heart is always there. And um, so if God calls you to be a dentist, great. If God calls you to be a school teacher, fantastic. If God calls you to be a youth minister, wonderful. Um, But be where God calls you to be in any given field that that could be. Yeah. So the, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, There's two different aspects of that first off if you delight yourself in the lord he will put in your heart his desires but then if you delight yourself in the lord he will then fulfill those desires that he put in your heart um and i i think you know some people will take that as oh if i you know seek after god he's going to give me everything i want um but actually what the scripture teaches is that as we seek him he will make us more like himself, which in turn changes our desires, our thoughts, our wants um, into his desires. And then, you know, uh, I think, what is it James that says, hey, if you ask according to God's will, he will fulfill that, right? Um, yeah. Because why why wouldn't he, right? If, if I ask God to do what God is telling me he's going to do, he's going to do it. You know what I mean? And, and it's probably a bit too simplistic to to state it that way, but that's essentially kind of the framework of what's being stated. Um, and I think that's in all aspects of our life. So if we are uh, a seeking after him and delighting ourselves daily in him, if he's putting in your heart that, that, you know, you're an inventor and that you're going to invent, you know, a, a new machine that's going to, you know, I don't know, help something, you know, trust, trust that the yeah. Lord's going to, going to utilize that, going to bless that going to, uh, cause I believe that the gospel is not just some spiritual thing that changes your, your eternity, uh, eventually, uh, indeed it does that, 
but I believe that the gospel has a profound impact on the world right now. Uh, And and I think a lot of us conservative, I think most people that you uh, have on the podcast are typically evangelical conservative bent. Uh, And I think one of the issues that we have with uh, conservative Christianity evangelicals is we like to, we don't really like that social gospel, right? It seems a bit too liberal, right? But there is a social aspect to the gospel. There is a permeating effect that the gospel should have on society, on culture, on community. Um, and I, I think sometimes we polarize ourselves on the conservative side. And I think the liberal side does the same thing. We kind of push opposite. The liberal side will focus too much on on uh, the social gospel and then Christian, you know, uh, uh, evangelical uh, conservative Christianity will, will then go the opposite side. And it's only spiritual, but there is a blending of both. The scriptures are, are obviously uh, affirming of that truth. And so not only should we be expecting that we should be seeking after how does the gospel permeate the world around me? And, and that specifically occurs outside the walls of the church. That doesn't mean that, that it shouldn't happen within the church. Obviously, it should. The church should be. And Dr. Noggle does a great job of talking about what the church should be, a, a center of worship, a place of uh, singing, a, a place of uh, studying the scriptures, edifying each other. Uh, but but that's that's what's happening inside the church, what's happening outside the walls of the church. That's the mission field, right? That's where we go out and bless the, the world around us. We should see the world changing in a better way. That's why it's beautiful when you see you know, passion of the Christ come out, you know, and it's like, wow, this is a Christian movie that's done very well, like by Hollywood standards. I thought Christian movies were supposed to be awkward and cheesy. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. we should the be seeing this. To look like ketchup. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. We should be seeing these masterful pieces of art uh, all around, almost like when you look at uh, art from back in the day, right? Like back in the day, you, you'd have you know, the best artists were Christians, were believers. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's a, an element that's probably missing that, that we need to, um, to consider, you know, just, yeah. just understand that God does have, a, and, and, and uh, Dr. Noggle references Oz Guinness' book, The Call. And I remember him talking about that in class and just being very intrigued by, oh, oh, wait, that there's a calling on my life, a specific calling that's going to be different than Scott Schiffer's. Like, oh, God, what is that for me, right? What do you have for me specifically? Much like when it says uh, train your child up in the way that he should go, and when he's older, he shall not depart. Uh, In the the Hebrew, what it's saying, and, and we lose this in translation, is train the child up in the specific way that child should go. Um, so it's actually... Uh, saying that as a parent, we should understand that each child is is different than the next child and that each child has a specific way, right? And so like as a parent, you need to be learning about your child. What are their interests? What's the calling on your child's life? And so now I need to get down on my knees and pray and ask God, hey, how should I foster this calling that you have on my child? Uh, yes. so that they can uh, eventually fulfill that, that, so they can be prepared, they can be, uh, their tools sharpened, right? So they have the skill set necessary to fulfill that calling. Um, and, and I think, you know, when we start to put these pieces together, we start to see a community 
that's uh, dynamic, that's exceedingly effective outside the walls of the church. Hopefully the church is effective as well. Um, but we're, yeah. we're, we start to break down these dividing lines between the sacred and the secular, and we start to see a profound impact on culture, which is what Jesus was doing. Remember in his ministry, he was engaging with not just the tax collectors, the fishermen. He was also obviously engaging with the Pharisees because he said, hey, listen to what the Pharisees say, right? Like they teach, right? Just don't do what they don't do what they do. <laughs> right. He obviously understood the Essenes, which were uh, the, the community at, at Qumran uh, his, when he, he goes through the, uh, the Beatitudes, there were actually uh, the Beatitudes are uh, obviously Jesus words, but that refrain blessed are those who, uh, that's a refrain that actually predates Jesus and was something that uh, the Essenes were using, were utilizing. Mm -hmm. So somehow Jesus had engaged. I, you know, we, I don't know. We, we don't know. Did he engage directly with them? Was it through the work of John the Baptist where, you know, John obviously uh, seems to have engaged with the Essenes as well. He's kind of out in the wilderness. Did he get, get that tradition, that oral tradition from them? But somehow Jesus was engaging with communities uh, outside the, the, the synagogue, outside the temple in the marketplace. Right. Uh, he mm -hmm. didn't look as, at somebody as now there, that this is the, this is the end all be all. This is the one that I'm going to listen to. He engaged with everybody and he sought to transform all life, uh, outside of the walls of the temple and the synagogue. Yeah. I think another issue is that we, of course, you know, as Christians sometimes think whatever we do here doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we have, I think, this divide between uh, vocation and ministry, uh, because we assume that the ministry is a higher calling because it's eternally significant, whereas what we do on earth isn't that eternally significant. Right. But in reality, uh, what we do on earth is eternally significant, and it's significant now, and it's yeah. important. And so um, I would just like to emphasize that, you know, when someone's doing work, uh, say, you know, for cancer or whatever, even if the person doesn't cure cancer, if the work that person done does leads to curing cancer down the road, what they've done is um, important. It could very clearly be a calling from God. It's important for now. And um, while it may not have eternal significance in the sense that we're not gonna have to cure cancer in heaven, um, it's, it makes it no less valid or no less important to the world that God created and put us in. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is another thing that Dr. Noggle would, would talk about is um, there's this concept uh, within Christianity these days, which is this escapism where <clears throat> essentially I accept Jesus Christ as my savior in this life. And that's really the only important thing because after that, now I'm just going to spend eternity with Jesus. And so the rest of this life is just waiting to die so that eventually I can be in heaven eternity with, with, with Jesus. And that's not the, what the biblical narrative tells us at all. In fact, the, the biblical narrative tells us that God created this, uh, this world for us to live in. And it's a very good world. Yes. It's, it's, uh, tainted with sin, but our job, our responsibility is to reconcile this world to him. And so we see, you know, sin in this world and we're supposed to be helping assisting in the process of, of eradicating sin in different sectors of life so that this world can be that good world that he created. God didn't 
run away from his plan when he created the earth and then Adam and Eve sinned. He didn't say, oh, well, fooey on that. Eventually I'll bring Messiah and then I'll just kind of pick up and, and create a new plan so that in eternity I can spend uh, eternity with, with mankind. In fact, he wants to spend life with us now. Uh, yeah. He's fixing this world. In fact, that, that's the thing, right? We don't, I, I love saying this in sermons because you get people that get squir- squeamish. We don't die and go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. And, and I love to kind of sit and let it sit and see him squirm and then follow up with, we die and go to the new heaven and new earth. It's, it's a marriage, a re, you know, a remarriage of heaven and earth. Eternity is uh, an existence where heaven and earth are combined together. God's not doing away with his present plan. He's fulfilling it in eternity. So we get back to that kind of garden narrative. Uh, I think it's Albert R. Walters talks about this in Creation Regained, right? Where we have the original uh, garden that's perfect existence, uh, sin enters, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Uh, we end up spending eternity uh, in in essentially the new the new garden, right? Yeah, the, the, that's it. Of, Which is why and, all the imagery in scripture is about i mean it relates to the garden of eden right right the the temple the tabernacle the the mountains the high places yes uh, like now we are the temple we are that eden that we're bringing the eden uh existence out into the world around us we're creating little pockets of eden in the communities around us right like exactly that's that's what we should be doing that's what we should be doing doing following our christian calling right the presence of god dwells within us and then we bring that presence to the communities around we're supposed to be bringing that presence to the communities around us yeah Yeah, and this goes back to what you were saying originally if if we are telling people that hey or or at least communicating uh that the pastor is the one who does the real job of god but the the people, well, I always say the butts in the seats, right? If the butts in the seats uh, are just supposed to show up on Sundays and Wednesdays, maybe a couple of Bibles, you know, studies, then we're not seeing these little pockets of Eden going out into the community because the pastor can't be everywhere at once, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the pastor has his yeah. role. We're not devaluing him, but we're saying, hey, man, everybody, God has a plan for them regardless of quote unquote ministry, you're given the ministry of reconciliation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, you got a ministry. Now you may be asleep at the wheel, but you do have a minute. You are a minister. You're a saint. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. Yeah. You know, uh, in his, uh, in his work, Dr. Noggle quotes two people. Uh, first he quotes uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's actually quoting Gandalf from J.R.R. Tolkien's right. R.R. Tolkien. Uh, all we have to decide, Gandalf said to Frodo, in a moment of uncertainty, is what to do with the time that is given mm. to us. And then he quotes Frederick uh, Buckner, who says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's amazing. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, Dr. Noggle also says in the text, God calls many, if not most of his people, to various vocations in the real world. He desires that we love and serve our neighbor with the gifts and talents he has given us. And then he goes on to say, uh, in order to display his glory, cultivate his creation, and extend his kingdom reign, and meet significant needs, 
and accomplish his redemptive purposes in the world, our Lord calls all believers to specific stations and tasks in life. Um, and then he goes on, one more quote, <laughs> this eliminates the distinctions in the body of Christ. We are all in the ministry, literally, and not just by witnessing on the yeah. job. So it's important for us to recognize that all Christians have a calling and all vocations are a calling. And I'm glad they are. Yeah. If you were to tell me, hey, Scott, you need to go be a first grade teacher, it would not be good. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. I like kids, but I don't need to be in a classroom with them all day long. It's not good for them. It's not good for me. Uh, it just won't be productive, right? That's just not what I'm called to. Uh, on the flip side, um, you know, if, uh, you know, you are someone who's called to that, there's no better place in the world for you yeah. to be than in yeah. a first grade classroom. And uh, we should all, um, now I know this is getting into sort of modern times, you know, in the ancient world, it was like, oh, you know, do the job you love. No, it was do the job yeah. you can do that we need mm -hmm. you to do, you know, but, uh, but we have more luxury than that now. Yeah. And in, in, at least in the Western world, you can do the jobs you love. Yeah. And uh, if you can uh, do the jobs you love, you should do the jobs you love because they bring more fulfillment, but also you're able to pour more into that because yeah, yeah. it's not so draining on the rest of who you are. Yeah. Um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's so good. It, it reminds me of, you know, there are times where I don't fully enjoy my job, but I, I look for other aspects to be creative. Um, and one of the things that Dr. Noggle references in this uh, third talk is uh, Walter Brugman's prof uh, prophetic, which, which is it? Um, I know I, I love Walter Brugman's prophetic imagination. He references yes. the, um, that is, oh, hopeful imagination, uh, prophetic voices in exile. So still kind of along the lines of prophetic imagination. And, and then he references not, not a lot, but through the, the talk, he references the imagination of a believer and the mm -hmm. importance of, of what it what it is to prophetically imagine. I, I think that's the other thing that, that we are short-sighted on. We forget that we are created as creators, that that God wants us to be imaginative, to to build worlds, whether it's in a in a novel or in, you know, uh, if, if you're a, a website designer building, building a, you know, a, a, I don't know, Java website. I don't know enough technical stuff, to, but I know <laughs> Java is a, a language, but you know, building stuff that that's being true to who we are as believers and recognizing that and finding beauty in everything we do. You know, I, I didn't enjoy my job whenever I was a, a, a server in a restaurant. I just didn't enjoy it. But uh, and I probably should have found a way to, to, to be worshipful in it. But I also recognize that my life isn't defined by that. Right. I'm going to be I'm going to be a songwriter. I'm going to be a painter. I'm going to find all different aspects of life that. So, so that I think that's another thing that I'm trying to get on is sometimes we think that we are really all we're here to do is whatever official job we have right so right. like if you're a teacher you're a teacher and that's it no man we're so much more than that you know what i mean like i yeah. and that's one of the things i love asking people is like what do you do like what what do you do for fun are you, you in sports right you like playing basketball like tell me about that 
You know what I mean? And then you kind of mm-hmm. see them light up. That's that passion we're talking about, right? Uh, what's that thing that makes you light up? Um, I, you know, maybe, maybe Peter wasn't super into fishing, but he did it because this is what everybody else did, right? I don't know. But what was it that he did that he really enjoyed, right? And, and we can all have passions. And that passion, that imagination that we're called to have, uh, we should see um, kind of light a fire in us, but, you know, kind of create that excitement in life. And this is what God's putting in us. And I think as you seek that kind of like what you were saying earlier, you're going to see God fulfill that within you because that's most likely what your calling is, you know? Um, so, so I, I don't, I think, you know, maybe our calling isn't like one specific thing, right? Maybe our calling is multiple things. Maybe we're called to be da Vinci's right. Where we're, we're, we're painters, but we're also, kind of pseudo philosophers and maybe we're architects and, you know, maybe we do a lot of things, you yeah, know, I that we're not that, just you know, defined by the, the day job that we have. Yeah. That's important to recognize. You know, I think sometimes people go, well, what's God's, what's God's one plan for me? Yeah. Well, he may have four or five different plans at a time for you. Yeah. And uh, it's okay to have your foot in all of those things. And yeah, we also course. don't need to um base God's plan for us on our own view of success for that thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. a lot of people go, well, I mean, like for, for me, for example, you know, I, I feel very strongly that God has called me to do ministry involving culture and faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing that now since 2003. That's when wow. God first called me to do that. That's almost 20 years at this yeah. point. And um, which is crazy. Uh, but it's not like I have, you know, a hundred thousand followers, but it's like, who cares? Because uh, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And, uh, you know, I think of Jeremiah in, mm-hmm. in uh, the Old Testament, who did what God wanted him to do for 50 years with no single recorded convert, you know, and um, you know, we don't need to judge what God calls us to do based on capitalism's view of success. Right. Uh, we, right. We do what we are called to do by God because he's called us to do it. And it doesn't really matter how many people it affects because it matters that we're obedient to God's call and doing what he would have us do. Yeah. And so yeah. S- success um, should be viewed more in obedience. You know, uh, are you obedient to God's calling? rather than is it making money now obviously you got to make money right we're in this system right. we've got to pay our bills but uh am i successful in my ministry if i only have three kids coming to a bible study well am i obedient to god yes i am okay then yeah it's a success right yeah. like and that should be our measure of success yeah i mean are you making a difference in those kids lives you probably right. are right and that's great you know yeah uh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? And that grew from time to time to where uh-huh. he had thousands that he'd speak to sometimes. But remember when he had big, I love this about Jesus. When he had big crowds, he just run them off. You know, he'd tell yeah. them like a hard teaching just to, just to run them off. I mean, obviously there's more theology going in there, but you know, Jesus would get, and then his disciples would be like, Jesus, you just had this great crowd. What'd you do? Right. And he's like, yeah. man, I'm challenging him. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I'm challenging him. He, Jesus had, uh, you know, just a small, and think about this, Paul's churches, Paul was investing so much in these churches, right? But mm-hmm. Paul's not known for his churches. Paul's known for his letters. Exactly. You know, it, it's, it's not like 
it's not like the church in Ephesus became this giant church, right? Like we, we think of the church in Rome, like, oh, yeah. no, Paul's letters is, I mean, and obviously he spent a lot of time and money on his letters. His letters cost thousands of dollars by today's standards to write and took months and months and months to write. And it, he wasn't the only writer. There were a, a number of people who assisted in the process. Uh, but uh, he, you know, he, the letters he used as an end goal to help those churches, right? So his focus was the churches. Um, yet what we look back on, the success of Paul is his letters, not so much mm -hmm. his churches. So sometimes what we value, sometimes the things that we're passionate about might not be the thing that God's, you know, God's using it momentarily, but that might not be the, the arc of history. When somebody looks back on Scott Schiffer, they might not be talking about, oh, the cultural impact that Scott had, it's going to be, you know, it might be something else that, yeah. I mean, you're passionate now and that's a good thing to, but we don't know what God's doing, you know, outside our purview that he's going to then use later, but we trust he will because he promises us he will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that as, as Christians, we need to, uh, again, just, you know, whatever God's calling you to do, jump into it wholeheartedly yeah. and uh, uh, don't be afraid uh, to, to take out, you know, on a step of faith, to do what God's calling you to do or to be who God's calling you to be. And uh, most, for most of us, that doesn't just involve vocational ministry that involves yeah. work outside yeah. of ministry that we can still do for God's glory. And um, one of the things that uh, David Noggle ends this section on is he says, imagine a church that preaches and teaches the doctrine of calling that affirms the value and the contributions of all believers in their common lives, that supports and prays for them in their strategic roles, and that builds up the kingdom and transforms the world mm -hmm. through the gifts and good works of the people of God who are making a difference right where they are with a resolute sense of purpose. Yeah. And so um, if, if you don't take away anything else from the podcast today, it's, it's simply this. Ministry is not reserved for full-time pastors alone. Ministry is done by all believers, and it's done by all believers in all aspects of life because everything we do in life is important. Yeah. And it's important for us to seek where God wants us to be uh, for his glory and for his kingdom, also for ourselves, uh, and uh, also uh, so that we can share um, his goodness or share Eden, as Steve said earlier, with the world around us. Yeah, yeah, that's, so. that's great, Scott. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's you know, I, I think I need it personally, but I, I think our world needs it. So this is a, and, and I'm thankful that you and I both got to study under Dr. Noggle, you know, and that we have the opportunity to continue his legacy, right? Maybe That's he right. didn't realize that this conversation, this talk he gave at a Friday, Friday symposium would be uh, talked about what, 19 years later, when did he give this? That's right. I mean, it was like 2006, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So or in there. So we're, 15, 15 years 16 later. 15 yeah. years. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thank uh, you, Scott. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here again, Steve. And for those of you guys listening, as always, we thank you. And we will see you again next time on the Faith and Culture Now podcast.